Hey everyone, thanks for taking time to listen to our latest sermon. When we decided to do this series, Enemies, we knew it was relevant to all that is going on in our country and the world. However, as we moved closer to Matt starting the series, it became clear that a study of what God says about dealing with those that are against us is as pertinent as ever and one of the most significant topics in our country right now. God's timing really is incredible. With the timeliness of this series in mind, I hope that you will subscribe to this podcast so that you have the best chance to hear all of the sermons. Also, please share these sermons. I honestly believe that you doing so can make our country and maybe even our world a little bit better. Again, thanks for listening. I trust that these sermons will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, with my extensive experience with enemies, Chad thought it would be good for me to speak on this subject because I've got just so many of them. Um, But I want to use this, it's going to be a three-week sermon series to really lay the groundwork um, for the topic of enemies. And the verse I want to start with is Matthew 5, 43 through 47, so I'm going to read that. You had heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. And like Chad and Brandon have already said, this is, I think, really timely um, because we are living certainly in a very polarized society where uh, your view on on any number of topics could be labeled as sort of wrong think. And um, it's not about dialogue and talking, but it's really about suppressing any sort of dissenting views. Uh, If you are uh, for Trump or if you're against Trump, wherever you fall in that, you've got enemies. Uh, If you think that the violence in Charlottesville was the cause of uh, left-wing counter-protesting or far-right-wing protesting, or maybe both equally, no matter where you fall in that spectrum, somebody's going to be angry at you. Someone's going to think that you're evil. Someone's going to be mad at you. And someone's going to think that you are their enemy and that you don't deserve any respect, certainly any semblance of humanity. And maybe you're that way too. Maybe that you have a view on any number of those topics and you're thinking, man, those people, they do not deserve respect. They do not deserve to be treated nicely. Those people are my enemies. And I'll, I'll give you sort of an example. I, in preparation for this sermon, I was looking for uh, sort of polarizing viewpoints And I came across this video recorded in 2014 of this uh, expecting mother who went to um, an abortion clinic in Arizona. Arizona is one of the 21 states where you can get an abortion at any time in gestation. Um, And she was specifically looking, she was 23 weeks pregnant at the time, for a late-term abortion. And the counselor was explaining the procedure, some of the options that she had, And they said, well, uh, 
what we would probably do is we would insert a needle through your stomach uh, with a chemical called, called digoxin. And it would go, and it would go into the fetus, and it would cause fetal demise. And she asked, well, what, what is demise? He said, well, death, right? It would stop the fetal heart. And she said, this, this, is, uh, this is what we recommend, and then we would go in there. You would either go into labor, and you would you know, deliver a dead child, uh, or we could go out and we could try to remove the child, uh, usually in pieces. And... Then the counselor said, but you don't have to use the digoxin. If, you don't, if you're not really wanting to use the chemicals, there's other ways to do it. Um, and we could go in and the doctor could just take out uh, the child, like, like I said, usually in pieces. But then again, if it comes out in a hole, there might be movement afterwards. But don't worry. There will be no attempt to resuscitate. And it will, the words self-terminate, which is to say, we'll leave it on the table as this child is struggling for life, and we'll let it die. And I'm, this is an undercover video, so she's recording this. They don't know that she's recording this. Uh, and I was the whole time thinking, how? How can someone just talk like this so senselessly? Just without any sort of semblance of emotion or shame, it just seems so wrong. It seems evil, doesn't it? And what I was feeling was, man, these people don't deserve my love, certainly. Not my respect. This is cruel. This is evil. That's how we often feel towards people we disagree with. And if you're feeling that, just kind of with that story, that's kind of what I want to address because that's when it's hard. And it's about then, my first point that I want to make is knowing what the rules are. As Christians, we need to know what the rules are. When I was beginning my sort of career at Costco, and I just gotten into management. I'm, I'm leaving Costco, so this is going to be sad. I'm not going to have as many stories. Um, but when I, uh, when I was, be, I, be, I had become an, a manager at Costco. I was a new manager in management. And they send you off to this leadership um, uh, conference, right? And you have all these top executives talking to you and trying to inspire you. In fact, that's when I kind of realized, man, I really don't want this. Because they're like, Costco's awesome. You work... 20 hours a day, you never see your family. Woo! I'm like, what? I, that's not inspiring, right? Um, but so that aside, uh, one of the things that we had to do, though, uh, was a lot of team-building exercises, and they had something called the Egg Drop Challenge, and they put you into groups of five, and we were all competing against these other groups. And what you had to do is you would uh, take an egg, you would drop it from about seven feet. If you weren't tall enough, they had a chair. You drop it from seven feet, and you didn't want it to break when it hit the floor. In order to do that, they would give you uh, like 25 toothpicks, eight inches of scotch tape, five stirring straws, and like five rubber bands. Those numbers could be wrong, but those things that we had were right. And each one of those was given a point value, and you wanted to have the least amount of points. If your egg broke, you just pretty much lost. There's no way you're going to win. But if it didn't break... Then we would determine who used the fewest resources. 
So you wanted to build the greatest little contravance with the fewest resources to have the egg survive when you dropped it. And so when I got into my group, I'm looking around at the other groups, and I'm like, oh my goodness, all these MacGyvers already building Manhattan Bridge over here, right? I, you know, I hear some on the coefficient of, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what's the elasticity? I'm thinking, there's no way I can compete with these, right? So I said, well, let's, let's look at the rules. Let's really look at the rules. So the first thing we did, while well, everybody's already started, is we read the rules. And the first rule that really governed it all said, the egg has to be dropped by hand from seven feet, and once it leaves the hand, it cannot be touching the body or any other unsanctioned object. The egg. And I said, guys, it never says the egg has to hit the floor. Right? So I say, give me the scotch tape. I wrap the scotch tape around the egg. I wrap it around my middle finger. And when I go up there, they're like, where's the egg? What's going on? Because I have it in my hand, right? I don't have this big Manhattan Bridge thing going on, right? And I go, all right, moment of truth. And it drops about two inches from my hand. It just dangles there. And we won. We won because we knew the rules. We read the rules and everybody else was so angry because they built these incredible little contravances and they lost anyways, right? But we won because we knew the rules. And as Christians, God has expectations. Because what does it say in Matthew 5, 43 through 47? It says, love your enemies. You might be thinking, how, how does the sort of know the rules congruent with the love your enemies sort of anecdote? But here's what it is. The love your enemies was not what was common, right? Because what does he say? He said, you've heard it said. Hate your enemies. Those are the rules that the world is playing by. That's what comes natural, what you, what you typically feel. But he said, those aren't the rules. The rules are love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I, I just want to show really quickly a picture of a common game. Is that going to work? Oh, yeah. All right. So checkers. Checkers is... Um, a really old game. In fact, in the ancient um, southern Mesopotamian city of Ur, which is now sort of modern-day uh, Iraq, yeah, it's modern-day Iraq, they found a 3,000 B.C. version of checkers. And not only that, in, in, in 1400 B.C., in Egypt, that's around the time that Moses is leading the Jews to the Promised Land, right, out of Egypt, they had a game of checkers as well. It wasn't uh, exactly this board until about 1100 A.D. by a Frenchman. But they had checkers. This, this super, incredibly old game. And you know, I, when I play checkers, I'm just trying to jump pieces and get, get them kinked. But in professional checkers, I mean, there's men's tournaments, women's tournaments, there's international tournaments. In fact, it's so aggressive. Checkers are so aggressive that there are three moves that you're not allowed to make in checkers because it gives you an unfair advantage. 
but it's an in- incredibly, incredibly uh, aggressive uh, game. And so, what, I'm sorry, what, what game is this? Checkers, right? But not just checkers can be played on this board, right? It's chess. You can play chess on here as well. And so kind of what Jesus is saying is the world is seeing the right board but the wrong game. Because checkers is, is a game about destruction. Taking as many as you can. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about this. Um, in high school, gosh, really just in the world in general, popularity is kind of big, right? Being cool is really big. But when I, I went to a public school, and in high school, popularity is, is important. And I was never like the tough guy. But I still was the guy that really tough guys didn't want to mess with, right? Because I was the witty guy. I was the funny guy. And man, you mess with me, I would make you stutter, and then I would bludgeon you with every verbal misstep, right? I would finish your sentence, and then I would take that sentence and strangle you with it. I could do it. I could make you feel so self-conscious about every single feature you had. I could make you feel so stupid about every single word that you said. I would make people laugh at your expense. And I would laugh in your face, and I was good at it. I really was, because that was my key in. Well, then I met a kid named Anthony. Uh, Brilliant, much smarter than I am. He's actually an engineer now. He's working in Amsterdam. Uh, he, He and I are very good friends now. But one day in class, he said something that I didn't like. It wasn't even mean. It wasn't even towards me. It was just something I didn't like. So I railed into him. I just got on him, and I, everything I said, ooh, man, it was good, right? And people were laughing. I was saying, boom, jump in your piece, jump in your piece, jump in your piece, king me, king me, king me. I'm winning. I'm winning. And then he did something that I will never forget. He looked at me, and he shook his head up and down. And then he went and sat down, and he said nothing. And it's hard to feel like you've won when the other person isn't playing the game or at least the game you thought you were playing. It's hard to feel like you've won when the other person feels like the better man. I was playing checkers. That's really bright, FYI. (laughs) I was playing checkers, and checkers has but one objective. It is one of the oldest games known to man, and it is about absolute destruction of opponent. You cannot win unless you take every single piece from your opponent. So while you're trying to take every one of their piece, they're trying to take every one of yours, and it's about mutually assured destruction. If you take my piece, you better bet I'm going to take yours. And that's what the world is. If somebody hurts you, your reaction isn't, I'm going to let that go. 
I'm going to let that one slide. You're like, I'm going to get this person. I'm going to take from them as much as they took from me. It's an eye for an eye, isn't it? It's a tooth for a tooth. But I knew that day when Anthony didn't play the game that he was the better man. But it's, it's ingrained in us. I mean, I, I think about uh, Rogan, my son, and Hazel, which is Chad's daughter. When those two get together, if somebody scratches or hits or takes... What's going to happen? I'm going to scratch and hit and take from you. You've wronged me. You've hurt me. And the only remedy is to me for me to do it back to you. And it comes sort of innate in us where what we want to do is to hurt when we've been hurt. But that checkers board, if you think about how a different game can be played on that board. And what's interesting about chess, I can't take this analogy too far, but what I will say in chess, what's very interesting is that theoretically you can win the game without taking a single one of your opponent's pieces. And you can do that so while, well, without losing any of your own. It's not about mutually assured destruction. And that's what Jesus says. He said, I've, I, you've heard it said. You should be playing checkers. That you should be taking and hurting and being cruel and unkind when somebody else has done that to you. But that's not what you should be doing. When they hurt you. When they're cruel to you. When they are unkind to you. I want you to love them. That's hard. But those are the rules. But can we at least all agree that it's a lot easier to be mean? Right? To just give peace, people a piece of our mind. Uh, my, so my dad, not that he never does this, he, does, he has done it, certainly, um, but he's not very good at it. Um, and it's, it's just because nobody understands him. Right? Because he'll be like, who's that nomadic troglodyte? thinking he can get away with his vituperative Christmudgeoniness. I'm like, Dad, yeah, I mean, you took those words like I was thinking those words, right? And you just took them right out of my mind and said nobody ever, right? But it doesn't matter whether it's easy or not, um, or whether it's, we're not good at it, rather. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the phrase, hate the sin, but not the sinner, is so much easier said than done. If someone punches me in the face, I'm not like, I'm so mad at that punch. That, oh, I hate that punch. That punch was evil. You're all right, though. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just hard to untangle the sin from the sinner sometimes. Hate the sin, but not the sinner. It's cute, but... It ain't easy. When I, uh, I got a Costco story. Refunds desk, that's where you have to really show a lot of patience. Okay? I, I mean, I've just seen so much weird stuff, but people like, 
bring in these old, worn-out underwear with gaping holes in them in horribly inappropriate places. I know this because they sprawl it out in front of you and point it out in painful detail and try to explain how it could have possibly happened. I'm like, I don't care. I just get them out of here, right? Old, moldy food just several years expired. Like, I found this. I'm sure if I bought it at Costco, but can you return it? All right. I had somebody bring in 10-year-old 1499 Kirkland Signature shoes because they had worn out. I'm like, they're 10 years old. Yeah, they worn out. But the policy is to open the register and throw money at them, right? That's what it is, but mm, the amount of restraint. So there's this lady. She comes up. She's holding two big Ziploc baggies full of chicken bones. She comes She throws them on the counter and says, these were terrible. (laughs) And I said, okay, miss, uh, and and what are these? (laughs) Right? And she gives me the most condescending look ever, like, are you stupid? What does it look like? Uh, Chicken? And then she pulls out a receipt and shows the spicy wings highlighted on her receipt, which is nice, having your receipt and having a highlight. That was really good. But everything else was not, right? And I say, oh, I'm sorry, miss. I just saw chicken bones. I didn't see chicken. And she said, well, they were terrible. That's why I'm returning them. I said, okay, so you said they weren't good, right? And I hold up the bag, like, can you see this? There's bones, right? You ate them all. And she says, yeah, that's what I said. That's why I'm returning them. And, mm, right, right here, it's boiling. How I, see, this is when I had just gotten into management too, so it's like I couldn't afford it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't say something wrong, but man, did I want to say, you ate them all, lady. This is two bags of chicken bones. If they were terrible, why do you eat them, right? Can you imagine? Them? These are disgusting, right? Who does that? But I didn't. I opened the drawer, and I just threw the money at her. But man, it's so much easier to love people who are just reasonable. <laughs> to be nice to people who are just, like, nice to you and don't immediately just want to be rude to you and jump down your throat. Man, I like those people. And Jesus says, well, congratulations. You're like everybody else. You're like everybody else. That's really uh, my second point. I've said this before, but I want to expand on it more, but it's that we need to love despite, not because. So loving despite, not because. I mean, so Kennedy, when we were going to attempt to go to the moon, and it was like 1962 in his speech, he says, we do this and the other things not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And we should love, um, you know, not because it's hard, but because it's the right thing to do. But it is hard. So when Jesus says, 
if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Luke 6, 32 through 36 says Jesus putting it this way. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to, to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Because loving when it is easy is literally no different than what everybody else is doing. That's the, the long-standing idea of reciprocity, which is if you do something for me, whether it's how you make me feel, whether it's what you give me, it's what you do for me, I'm going to like you, I'm going to love you. And if you don't, you do something that makes me not like you, I'm not going to love you. You do bad, you get bad. That's reciprocity. You're giving what you think is owed. But that's not, that's not what God says. Because if my wife is cooking a meal for me and I love her because she cooks meals for me, because that's the only reason, then what am I? And if she didn't cook any meals for me, am I like, well, not anymore. Jeez, Louise, this lady's crazy, right? No. Jesus says, you want to, if somebody is mean or ungrateful or cruel and unkind, they do something that you don't like, if you love them despite those things, that is the kind of love that I want you to have. When someone hurts you, I want you to love them despite that. When someone has a belief that you think that they shouldn't have, I want you to love them despite that. When someone disagrees with you and with every single breath that they take seems to disrespect you, with every single thing that they do, it feels like they are just asking not to deserve respect and love, I want you to love them despite that. That's love despite not because, and it's hard. But it's not cheap, it's real. I, um, when I was growing up, I wasn't the best big brother. And with my brother being sick, it kind of causes you to look back and see sort of the things that you've done with a little bit more permanency and certainly regret. I just think about how mean I was to him because I wanted to be cool. And I would always kick him out of my room and yell at him and make fun of him. And my friends would laugh at me and say, you are so mean to your brother. And I would take that as a sort of stamp of accomplishment. Man, was I cool. 
And had I known what a moment of coolness would have cost me, I would have done things differently. I had missed opportunities to be a loving big brother and to love him despite him being younger and annoying. And I missed him. And I think about this time I was at La Jolla Beach in Southern California and my parents had bought me this really incredible race car. It was the remote control car. It was big, it was fast, and it was just awesome. And I was riding it on the sandy sidewalk of La Jolla Beach. And I asked my brother to race it. And uh, he was faster than I expected. And when he was running full speed for literally no reason, I turned the car into his feet so that he fell down at full speed and he fell and he scraped himself up and he screamed and I did it because it was easy to be mean. And I think about So he has schizophrenia, and one of the first things I did, my mother was telling me that I needed to do this, was to really research schizophrenia. And one of the things I found was that if you're vulnerable to schizophrenia, you don't always manifest symptoms. Uh, sometimes it's, it, it takes some sort of life event to sort of trigger it. And did that happen? I don't know. Um, but one of the things, drugs can be one of those things. And I know that early on in my brother's life, he got involved in some of that stuff. And where was I? Right? Where was I? Aren't I supposed to be the big brother? Aren't I supposed to be saying, don't let that stuff Get to you. Come with me. Be with me. I'll protect you. I'll be your big brother. But you're young and annoying. And I missed an opportunity to love despite. And it has given me lots of memories filled with shame. In these moments, you have an opportunity in life to choose to play checkers and to give back what you think is owed or to think, man, what would God do in this situation? I can't think of a single time that I regret where I was loving instead of hateful, where I was mean if, if, if I was mean, I'm, I'm going to be pretty ashamed. But if I was loving, even when they didn't deserve it, I'm not going to look back and be like, can't believe I did that. Should have punched him. Not. If you repay meanness and unkindness with love, you are loving despite, not because. And those are the rules. 
that, that's what God wants. And loving like that is hard. And so I've used this first sermon to sort of lay the groundwork. What are the rules? It's to love despite, not because. And that's hard. And so next week, I want to give you some advice on how to do that. But will you pray with me? God, I pray most for your forgiveness for the times that certainly I and those here were mean and cruel when we should have been loving and kind despite what we felt the other person deserved, God. I pray that we would be faithful followers of the rules that you've given us, God, that we would love our enemies even when it's hard, God. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share your words, God. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be a witness to you, God, and I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who heard, God, and that you would allow us to implement uh, these words. Even though it's hard, God, I pray that we would take it seriously and that we would do it. And We love you in your precious and holy name. Amen.